0: Grabbed your sheet in the back, Uh, you are looking at some of this information. I was going back over this and thought some of this looks very familiar because uh, about uh, two years ago this summer we went through a study in the book of Proverbs. And so uh, this is kind of a refresher course. I don't know if uh, many of you. Uh, recently have had to do these type of things, but where you've taken a class in something and you supposedly have become an expert, but then uh, a few days later uh, you have to then, uh, or a few months later or a few years later, you have to take refresher courses on this. It's kind of like some of you that have taken CPR classes. You're certified for a certain amount of time and you've got to go back and get certified again and and get certified again, or we've got a pilot who's not here right now but he's got a, a times where he's got to go back for check rides uh, you, you know what you're doing but uh, they want to make sure that you know what you're doing and following the process you should and so for us this evening it may be that uh, we're looking at this familiar uh, material and going oh I, I know a lot of this uh, but I guarantee you've forgotten some of the elements of what we discussed uh, when we looked at the book of Proverbs uh, two years ago This book of Proverbs, uh, just starting off like we normally do, we talk through who the author is, and I put it this way, it's mainly Solomon. And we'll talk through why we don't think it's Solomon completely uh, as we go through the arrangement of the book, but mainly it's Solomon. Uh, Solomon was known for... Uh, thousands of Proverbs, though as looking at this book, we only have uh, 430 Proverbs of Solomon specifically. Uh, And so we don't have all of the wise sayings of Solomon written down in this book. Uh, We're missing a good portion of them. Uh, and uh, so uh, in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit we've got what we have and uh, it is helpful to us but it's not all Solomon that wrote, the, wrote this. If we say what's the theme of wisdom and we had, or excuse me, Proverbs and we had to put it into one word we'd say this, wisdom. Wisdom is the idea of skill in living. Okay, There are people who have knowledge but not a lot of sense. They know a lot of things, but how to apply those things, they, they just don't know how to do that. And so you could say uh, they might be intelligent but not really smart, um, and uh, there are a lot of people like this in the world. Uh, they've got a great deal of knowledge, but when it gets to the real events of life and making decisions, they make rather poor ones. What the book of Proverbs is attempting to do is to get a person that might not be known for knowledge, put it that way, uh, that hasn't gotten a, a series of degrees and passed all sorts of different things. You, you could have individuals that have a sixth grade education or an eighth grade education and in God's eyes, they're wise because they know how to do things and live well even though the world might say, well, they're not rich and they're not famous uh, in God's standard, they've got skill when it comes to dealing with life's issues and uh, do it in a way that glorifies God. And so wisdom is uh, the theme of this book over and over again. You're going to find statements that are pointing to uh, wisdom. The way the book's arranged You start off this way, it's the Father's praise of wisdom, chapters one through nine. And this section is intentionally not like what we view Proverbs being. Proverbs we view as one-verse statements, sometimes two-verse statements. Proverbs one through nine, they're designed for you to read through uh, a whole chapter, perhaps, to get the wisdom that Solomon's trying to get. There might be little tidbits, but there's an overall message uh, of different sections and uh, it's not really intended for you to read one verse, it's designed more for you to read a a broader scope. Many people think that uh, this father's um, praise of wisdom is perhaps what Solomon is recording of what David told him. Especially in this section, you will see over and over again, my son, my son, my son, my son. And Many people think that it is Solomon writing this, but that this is perhaps what he had heard from his father, and he's recording this uh, in uh, what we would say more proverbial fashion, Uh, but this is perhaps what uh, David gave to Solomon, and so some uh, kind of lean to that direction, but chapters 1 through 9, you have themes, major themes over a whole chapter, Then you have uh, what is simply described in chapter 10 and verse 1 as the Proverbs of Solomon. It's described this way. And you start off uh, with all sorts of statements in chapter 10 and verse 1. It says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, first statement, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Uh, And you have statements like that uh, going on for the next 12 chapters. Uh, where you have these different Proverbs of Solomon. When you get to Proverbs uh, 22 and verse 17, there's suddenly this, you say it's the middle of the chapter, it's just the way that uh, our modern, more modern individuals broke up these sections. But Proverbs 22 and verse 17 starts at this. Um, Bow down thine ear, hear the words of the wise. Apply in thine heart unto my knowledge. Uh, and so you have the statement, okay, hear the words, not of Solomon, hear the words of the wise, the wise ones uh, in that grouping. And so you have the words of the wise, chapter 24 to 23 to 20, yeah, 34 is more words of the wise, and uh, that's how it's described. Then 25, uh, 1 through 29, 27. You have another statement that these are more Proverbs of Solomon. That uh, he is uh, here making these statements. 25 and verse 1 uh, reads this way uh, These are also Proverbs of Solomon. And then you have uh, this statement, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. And that gives us a little note here that you're going, okay, Hezekiah, he's a king. He followed after Solomon by some 400 years. What Hezekiah was known for was really bringing the nation, he's one of the last kings that attempts to bring the nation of Israel back into worship with God. He's the one who is ministering during, or is king during the time of Isaiah and others. And uh, as he is uh, doing these things and reforming the temple and uh, reshaping it, and he's finding different things in the temple, it seems like the priest that he's charged to lead in the worship of the nation of Israel, find more, find the law of God, but also find more statements of Solomon and gather them together. So what we have in... The early part of the Proverbs is ones that Solomon put together and perhaps put out. In this case, it seems like 400 years later, Hezekiah comes along and he goes, okay, there's some more sayings of Solomon that we're going to put into this book. And so uh, this book of Proverbs, you say, how long did it take to get arranged? Well, we know it starts with Solomon. and We know that at least by the time of Hezekiah, they're gathering it together. So it's a process of at least 400 years to get this book together. You have in Proverbs uh, 31 through 33 is described as the words of Augur. And um, you have the statement there as you read verse 1 of uh, chapter 30. It says, the words of Augur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Uchol. And you're like, I have no idea who any of those people are. And the answer is, most people don't. Uh, They, some even with uh, the next one, perhaps people have come up with that this is Solomon's pen name. You know what an author is when they have a pen name. They don't really uh, use their name. They use another name, such as Samuel Clemens. You would know him better as Mark Twain. Uh, and individuals like that. Some think that this may be another name for Solomon. Uh, I tend to not think it is. I think it's somebody else completely just because of the names that are here described. There's also the words of Lemuel, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. It's interesting that this section is the one that has what we call the virtuous woman. Uh, I think this is mom's advice to a king going, you need to find uh, someone like this to marry. Oh, that Solomon had, had used this kind of wisdom. Uh, but uh, this one is more, you know, people say it's King Lemuel writing this down. Yeah, but it's the statement of his mother to him that he is recording. And so you have these different sections, uh, the, the sections 10, 1, and following. For the most part, you can read line upon line. Uh, one proverb, get something out of it. Uh, chapter 31, more of a theme statement, and so is the words of Augur. There's kind of patches together of several verses where you have these pro- proverbial ideas. So that's how it's arranged. Then we have uh, key verses. And you say, what's the key verses? And I only, you say, well, I've got a favorite proverb in all of this, uh, but I'm going to put it this way, that the key verses are chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Because it's with this that you suddenly are explained and given what the purpose of the Proverbs is, or are, yeah, yeah. And uh, as you go through this, uh, this uh, verses 1 through 7 gives us a help in saying, how am I supposed to use these Proverbs? How are they going to help me in real life? As you go through, you read, uh, starting off, and we're going to be looking at this, and so we'll read through this Proverbs section, verses 1 through 7. It starts this way, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David... King of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase in learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and their dark sayings. And then verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You start off in that first verse and it just simply gives you some information about the author. You say, why do we know that this is Psalm? It serves to arouse interest. If you had the opportunity to sit down for an hour with a person in the world that's considered to be wise, I mean, people pay money to do that. You have these different lectures that are out there and speaking circuits. For instance, they have these things called TED Talk and other things like that that are these intellectual things. People will pay huge sums of money just to spend an hour hearing this person talk live. And if you were to say in the day that these were written, oh, this is something given by Solomon, realize this, people came from far reaches of the world to see Solomon, to hear Solomon. The Queen of Sheba, probably coming, some say, from Africa, uh, but Sheba, I think, as far as I can tell map-wise and geography-wise, is somewhere in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, that area. But this woman came with all of her riches because she was wanting to pay to have the opportunity to talk to Solomon. And what Solomon does is that he just walks her through, lets her see the things that are going on, how the house is arranged. He talks about different subjects with her from science and botany and these type of things. And uh, she's able to sit at the table. and, And she gets done and she goes, how happy your servants are. Now think about this, servants usually aren't very happy. You go, why? Because they're doing somebody else's work. And she notes these ones are blessed and have great privilege. They, They have great opportunity, and it seems to show that they're really excited about this. I mean, here this person looking at, uh, Queen of Sheba looking at his life, is here's a guy who's got everything organized, his household's well-ordered. I mean, people pay lots of money to read books on people just telling you how to order your household better. So would you come to this very first statement and go, oh, this is Solomon. People would pay good money to hear him because he's so smart and so wise. Okay, I'm going to listen to him. But on the other side of this, it serves as a warning. Because sometimes you don't take your own advice. Because when you go through, you find out that there are two things in the Bible, uh, as it describes him, that he loved. Okay, you go, well, what does 1 Kings 3 3 say? Anybody know what he loves in that passage? 1 Kings 3.3 3 says this, Solomon loved the Lord. Okay, so he loves Jehovah, the God who is connected with his people, cares for them, one who put him in his place there. But then you get to 1 Kings chapter 11, and it says this, but... King Solomon loved many strange women. I understand strange women is just women that should have been foreign to him, been like a foreigner to him. And the problem was he made him his wife and made them his wives. Uh, and uh, that was something that then you find draws away his heart from serving the Lord. He's building, after he builds the temple of the Lord, he's building structures for his wives to worship in, other gods. And they kind of want him to worship with them. And he kind of goes along with this. And so when you read this, you go, oh, okay, this is one of the most intelligent men in the world, but even though he was really, really intelligent, sometimes his ego got the best of him, and he went his own way. Stop fearing the Lord like he should have and gaining wisdom, and he started taking up worldly wisdom. And so there is a warning for us to note (coughs) uh, on this. So I will say this the last time he's mentioned, we're told what happened, Uh, Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 26. Uh, Reads this way, and Nehemiah giving account. Thirteen twenty-six says this did not. Well, I'll give you context. Nehemiah is mad at the people of Israel because when he comes back after about twenty years having rebuilt uh, the city of Jerusalem, uh, he comes back and finds out they've married foreign women. And the statement of Nehemiah is this: Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Okay, that middle Elizabethan English, outlandish women. Caused him to sin. And so you find, even in that statement of a summary of his life, uh, that, well, he didn't take up all of the wisdom that he had, and so he serves as a warning. So the title creates interest, but also serves as a warning. Verses 2 through 6 give us why we have the Proverbs. And this is the next page over in this, and so you go, what are the purposes? The purposes are simply this. As you go through, they are summarized and some are behavioral. You go, what do you mean by behavioral? Uh, These proverbs are to know wisdom and instruction and perceive the words of understanding. Uh, The idea is uh, this, to know wisdom and, we might put it this way, discipline and chastening. The idea there is to make sure that your behavior is corrected And so what some of the Proverbs are doing is that they're chastening you when your behavior is bad, your actions, your activities. And so the the words of Proverbs are giving you how you ought to behave. But also they're giving this, that Proverbs are sometimes mental. And really when you get down to it, the way we behave is the way we think. It's a display of that. Uh, but uh, there are some that you just, and think about this, with children, sometimes you don't deal with them and go, okay, let's talk through this. You know, your behavior was bad. Now let's just think about the process of this. How did you get to where you were at that your hand was in the cookie jar? Um, No, you deal with the fact of you were told that you shouldn't uh, be in the cookie jar, and the way of the transgressor is hard okay? And uh, you, you transgressed, you stepped over a, a boundary line, and so life is going to be a little bit more difficult as a result of that. You go, Oh that's, that's correcting behavior, yes. But sometimes what uh, Saul, or excuse me, Proverbs is there for is for us to get to think about things that are deeper than surface-level behavior and begin to think, okay, what is the heart issue here? And so you'll find Proverbs that some of them are just dealing with activities and others are challenging you to think about something and thus guarding your heart with all diligence. uh, You then realize that if you're guarding your heart, why do you do that? Because out of it are the issues of life as you're going to find in the book of Proverbs. So some are behavioral, some are mental, And what he then does is he goes through and explains in verses 3 and 4 some of the things that uh, are behavioral. I mean, he gives certain things uh, that, uh, first of all, we would say are matters of instruction. Verse 3, to receive the instruction of wisdom. And you say, well, what's the uh, instruction of wisdom? To give insight into justice. I mean, as parents, we have to make decisions. We sometimes serve as judges, as workers in your business. Sometimes you have positions of authority where you have to be fair, you might put it that way. Uh, And for Solomon, more so you've got uh, problems of the nation, how to be fair uh, with people in your judgment. And so you have Proverbs that are there for justice, some that are for judgment, Okay, there, there are certain times not just merely are you trying to be fair, sometimes you have to come up with the punishment or the corrective measures that you're going to, to keep this from happening, or in some cases that you're just bringing punishment. There is no chastening that goes on, you're just bringing punishment. It's not the idea of correcting something, you're paying back something And insight into equity. And uh, you say, what what is this idea of equity? And uh, there's many different ideas right now uh, about what that is, but just simply uh, the idea, once again, of fairness. Being fair with people. Treating them fairly. Uh, We might say from the New Testament perspective that we would, uh, in the paraphrase of Matthew 7, verse 12, Uh, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What kind of position would you like to be in? Uh, Would you then do that for somebody else in your actions and activities? And so there is that kind of uh, idea. Then there is, uh, besides behavior, there is, besides the matter of instruction, there's the matter for skill. Verse 4 talks about this. To give subtlety to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. And uh, I think there's a a parallel structure here when you talk about the two people that are needing wisdom uh, to change their behavior. uh, The simple and the young man are put together. And what you find is that uh, young men tend to do really silly stuff. Uh, If you make studies of this, uh, women usually mature long before the men do. That's why insurance uh, costs go down for women earlier than it does for men because men are foolish at times. And so it seems like uh, you have uh, these statements again and again in the Scripture about young men being sober and uh, being temperate and these type of things because they tend not to be. And you say, well, why is this the case? Well, they're they're paralleled, the young man's paralleled to a simple individual, and a simple individual is this, is a person who doesn't have experiential knowledge. They don't know what the ends are going to be of something. You know, you drive your car at 150 miles an hour. What's going to happen? Um, Well, I haven't experienced that. Well, let's give you some ideas uh, and give you some experiential knowledge of what happens when you do drive that fast. From people who have done this and tragically learned probably not the best way to drive. Um, so it is with the proverbs. There's a lot of things that young men haven't understood or experienced themselves, and so they're simple just by their age. They haven't had a broad view of experienced things in life, and so when you get to Psalm seven and eight, or excuse me, Proverbs seven, eight, and nine. There's a lot of warnings about the strange woman and the evil man. People that suddenly you might come into contact with and if you don't have experience, they can draw you away to your destruction. And so what the Proverbs are designed to do is to give subtlety, uh, and we can go through this, okay? So who needs this? Simple, the young man, which I would say that's kind of a parallel thing there, but you can have simple young ladies too, but uh, the emphasis on this is young men. What does uh, he gain from them? He gains subtlety, knowledge, and discretion. Subtlety is the kind of term used, uh, we might say, there's a craftiness. Uh, There's a way that this person gets through life and doesn't get snagged by things in life. You know, we talk about this, the, the serpent being subtle, the snake uh, in the garden. You say, well, what, he, what is he doing? Smooth talk. Well, what we're talking here is here you've got a person who's living life and not getting snagged by things. Okay, that might be a way of thinking about it. Subtlety. Knowledge. Just getting a storehouse of things stuck in your head and you go, okay, I heard about this once. Somebody did this, and someone did this, and here's the outcome. I I remember this. I just had this story told to me by someone. So the Proverbs are designed to just jam knowledge into the head. And also then discretion that here you have a young man who can make wise choices. When with a bunch of friends and they all suggest, let's do this, they're going, well, let's think about the long-term issues here, the consequences of our actions. We probably don't want to do this, okay? That's what you're giving to this. And so behaviorally, you've got these proverbs that are given to change the way that people act and do things, But then you go on the other side and you have uh, that there are mental purposes. Uh, We said that there in verse number two I was talking that they had both behavioral things that we need to correct and mental things that are needing to be corrected. And what sometimes the Proverbs are just designed for you to do is to you to sit down and think. maul them over. Roll them around in your head. And that... There is something, and uh, people talk about Christianity is for unthinking people. No, Christianity is a thinking person's religion. They consider things, they consider all things, and they think about it. And what Proverbs do makes you think. Uh, The idea is to understand, uh, verse 6, it starts this way, to understand a proverb, an interpretation, the words of the wise, the dark sayings. That word understand, you may want to underline it, and it's uh, this idea of uh, that we have in verse 2 that says perceive. Okay, when you perceive something, you're seeing the edges, and you're, you're beginning to understand its shape and its form. Uh, so what are you supposed to understand? Well, you have these four things that are listed there. You're supposed to understand Proverbs, which are these short statements that you have that are matching parallel lines or contrasting lines, that you can discern that, or that you can work at discerning interpretations. Okay, someone comes to a conclusion, and you look at the conclusion and say, how did they get there? Okay, I can think through that. Or, the words of the wise, well, sometimes people, you know, you've probably sat down with books like this and you've started reading it and you're going, I have no idea what that person just wrote. I think I'll just put that book back down again. Uh, And there's occasions like that that you've had books like that, uh, but you come back years later and you sit down and you read it and you're kind of going, oh, okay, I kind of understand what he's talking about. Um, there is those those elements where you may not get the statement the first time because you're kind of going, this is someone who's just, I'll have to work at it. And then this thing, to understand dark sayings. um, I'll picture it this way. They used to do this, but they don't anymore because of covid Uh, When you go to Cracker Barrel and you sit down at the table and you've ordered and then you're waiting because it's not fast food, it's slow food. What do you have on that table typically? It's this triangle that sits there and it's got all the pegs on it except for one spot that doesn't have that peg and they go through this and they go, you know, if you can get it down to the fact that you have only one peg left then, then you're really, really Really, 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 really smart. But then they have all sorts of other words if you have a whole bunch of pegs left, and then one of them's, you know, if you have five left, you're an ignoramus. I At one time, and played the, that so much that I could figure out how I could leave eight on the board without being able to jump any of them. That's hard to do. I kind of tried to reverse the process there, but uh, that's what that word is. Okay, it's, 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 it's enigma, we might use that term, but we might know it better as the term, a puzzle, okay? There are things that you struggle with, and perhaps you've had this, where you've had these uh, two pieces of metal that are together, and you know, the instructions say, you can get them apart. And you're trying everything and they're not coming apart and you're going I have no idea how to pull this apart and you're doing this over and over and over again trying to figure out how do I get these two pieces of metal apart you know people pay money for this you're like really I you know I'll just play with it in the store and try and figure it out but uh, people pay money to figure this out but they eventually get to the point where if you figure it out you can go like this and slide it open and slide it back in again and people are like how did you do that well, it's because you worked at it for a long time. There are things and statements that just require you to work at and work at and work at because they're a puzzle. And there's lots of puzzles in life. And Solomon's got it filled when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes. That whole book's talking about things that don't make sense how you have somebody who's really, really healthy and dies young and someone who lives unhealthily and lives seemingly forever. And that the person who lives life uh, as they should and they lose everything and a person who is completely evil uh, gains everything in this life. And you're kind of going, that doesn't make sense according to what I've read in the scripture. That shouldn't be the case. There are puzzles uh, at times. Dark sayings as it's described there. What verse uh, 7 is, is the motto. Okay, for to give one statement, you know, we said one word to describe Proverbs, it would be wisdom. This is a lengthy statement that just gives you the direction for all the Proverbs. Okay, where do we start wisdom from? Well, it is simply this, that we start wisdom with the fear of the Lord. Okay, so if you, you, you know, we, we go through this whole book of Proverbs, read through it, but you're not really going to get anywhere unless you realize that there's got to be an awe of God in your life, that he really does exist, and he really does play a role in life. All wisdom starts there. You center on that, that there is a God, and that he plays a role in life, uh, and you live in relation to him because you're going to have to stand one day before him in judgment. Okay, that's the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. You don't get wisdom unless you start here with the fear of the Lord. And what you're going to find throughout the book is that there is warnings for those who decide, no, go my own way you got groups of individuals like that. There's three individuals in the book that are constantly mentioned over and over again. you got the simple person who's just kind of going through life blankly, not really looking for consequences, uh, kind of goes with what the crowd says. That's the simple. Then you got the one who's known as the fool who kind of goes, I'll go my own way, and it's an intentional thing. But then you've got the mocker or the scorner, the same, same Hebrew word, the mocker and the scorner, who goes about trying to attack God and all that follow him. I mean, it's not just merely, I'll go my own way and uh, don't worry about me. It's no, I'm going to make life difficult for those that are followers of God and I am going to try and make a joke of God. So you have three individuals like that you see throughout the book of Proverbs and there's warnings for them over and over and over and over again. And so beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So very quickly here, uh, I'm not going to do much on this because we spent much time on this. What are Proverbs? Proverbs uh, in our Bible are a comparison or a parallel. Uh, they don't, uh, Proverbs don't rhyme scheme. Uh, what they're doing is they're either saying the first line's got uh, one thought and the second line is synonymous with it. It's parallel to it. Or what you will read with a proverb typically is that the first line says something and the second line says something completely contrasting, the opposite direction. That's how these proverbs are arranged. Um, You could say this, a proverb employs a short, pithy saying to express a general rule through a specific example. Okay, you have a general rule, and realize this, proverbs don't always work out the way you want them to. We'll warn you about that here at the very end. But there's a general rule. This always seems to be the case, but let's give you a specific example. Um, here's one from our time. A stitch in time saves nine. You know, if you just go ahead and make the stitch a little bit more solid, you're not going to have to eventually, as that garment pulls, to have to work on nine of them. And you kind of go, okay, so is there another one like this? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of Cure. Okay? Short statement, but it's like, if you take care of something before it becomes a problem, you won't have a problem. But if you ignore it, it becomes a big problem. And a generic way of saying this is that the general rule is that preventative action is better than remedial cure. Take care of it in advance instead of having to go back later and fix it. so you know we have this short statement, general rule, specific example. You got sewing and medicine is the example, but it's presenting a general principle: take care of things in advance. Okay, so you have that. Then you have uh, this other example: like father, like son. Or they're to chip off the old block. You know they're made of the same rock. You know, you say chip off the old block. Well, imagine you've got a block and you chip it off and it's the same rock. Maybe shaped slightly different, but the material's the same. Or the apple doesn't far, f- fall far from the tree. All of those are statements that you're going, okay, we have a specific situation, but it's, it's giving us a general principle of Life. And this is the general rule is that the derivatives or those things coming off are very similar to their origin. The idea is this, is that uh, you have something that uh, is the father of something else. They're going to, well, affect the next generation and those things going on. So thus it is important for it. So you give those, we do have proverbs in our culture uh, that are like this. And Solomon uses a lot of specific examples but those specific examples aren't the specific situation. He's going, okay, there's a general rule here. Now, have this. In, in God's providence, Proverbs may have exceptions. Okay, let me give you a few here. Proverbs 26, verse 4. You You'd start off with that first statement. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. So you're going, if there's a person who's a fool, doesn't like God, I'm not gonna say anything to him. Wow, I'm going to live my life that way. And then you read the next verse, and you're like, really? Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit? I'm supposed to answer a fool? So which is the right answer? What's the right answer in every situation? And what you're finding out, you're going, there isn't a right answer in every situation, or there is a right answer in every situation, but it's not going to be the same. There were times as a youth pastor where you would not make comment to a teenager. You might correct it, but you wouldn't go any further than that because you realized we're not going to get anywhere. Just not going to get anywhere right now. You could just tell. And there are other occasions where you would answer back and you would give a lengthy discussion with that individual. And you realized we're probably not going to get anywhere, but it was a good time to deal with it. What's the right answer? Don't know. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. I know a lot of people who have lived well and do not leave an inheritance for their children's children, have nothing to hand off to their kids. Now, I would suggest this. It's not finances that is the best thing to hand off to your kids. But that's what it's talking about. A person who's lived their life this way should be able to do it. But I've seen a lot of people who have lived good lives and from a financial standpoint leave nothing for their kids. And you say, well, did they squander their living? No. You say, well, they lived well. Yeah, they did. But in God's providence, there wasn't uh, anything left for them To have, and then the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. There's a lot of rich people who die who are very evil. And you're going, you know, that's money that should be given to the just. And occasions it does happen that that wealth finally gets distributed, but not always the case. Or how about this Proverbs? When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. So you're like, I know what to do. So no one ever gets mad at me. What I'm going to do is always please the Lord and everyone's going to love me. And then you get to 2 Timothy and you find they that live godly shall suffer persecution. You go, well, where does persecution come from? People? Um, but in general, if you have a person who's following God's ways, who's fair and just and kind and gentle, People are going to like people like that. They want people like that as their neighbor. But there's sometimes you end up being next door to somebody and they find out you're a Christian and they're going, I hate them. And they haven't even said a word to them yet. You're going, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's obviously something going on in their own soul. But the Proverbs is not always here, the correct. And then this one, Proverbs 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you have examples of children who are trained upright and they go to their deaths not pursuing God? But what this is saying is that doesn't then mean okay, I'm going to train my kid however I want to and be really lackadaisical about it, whatever, because they may go ahead and be bad or they may be good. No, the answer is you train up your child in the way he should go. And in general, they will follow the Lord, but not always the case. So that's the one thing you have to remember about Proverbs. Proverbs is not giving us this is a hard and fast rule. It's saying generally this is what happens though there may be exceptions, and that's what we have there in those final notes. Proverbs then are not always absolutes or immutable promises. You just have to kind of go, they're general truths. And sometimes God in his providence and his working out of his will says, I'm going to change the results here, uh, do something to bring me glory, or as we'll see in Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for good, and so sometimes God does things that we might not totally think are, are good, but he's got an overall plan where he's bringing about good. And uh, sometimes these things change. So <clears throat> those are general notes on Proverbs. Uh, there's enough there in Proverbs to keep you studying for generations if you live that long uh, and gain new truths uh, just to sit down, and I know Proverbs a day, uh, a lot of people do that. I'll read Proverbs 1 on the first day of the month, Proverbs 2. Uh, I suggest for you when you get to Proverbs 10 that you just do a Proverbs a day, one. You say, this is the Proverbs of the day, and I'm going to figure out how this one works. And uh, then go to the next one and do that uh, for a month. Just try that out. Rather than reading a proverb. Full proverb day. Just read one single proverb uh, out of the, that la- later section, and you'll find it to be a very good, uh, very good study for you to have. Well, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this book that uh, can be one that we can mull over for years and consider. Uh, may we learn from it, but more and most importantly, learn much about you, that we would live in a fear of you, and uh, that we would then be a reflection of what you're like as we live out our life amongst people day in and day out. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for being a God that just didn't save us to leave us to ourselves, but that you also give us uh, understanding on how we ought to live life to reflect who you are. We thank you for the knowledge. May we live it out. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.